The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I'd like to read to you tonight from Ecclesiastes, the first chapter. We'll start in the first verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. If some of you are thinking, wow, Brother Neil, you must have had a rough day to start with that one. Uh, it really wasn't that bad, but uh, that's the way the chapter starts. So we want to just be true to the word of God. Verse 3. What profit hath the man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? Some of you were thinking, Brother Neil, you must have had a bad day to start with that one. And some of you are thinking, I'm not getting up for work tomorrow after reading that one. <laughs> one generation passeth away and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place from where, where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. Now here's one problem that we have, verse 11. I say we, I mean modern man, not necessarily you. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, I'll just read to you uh, quite a lengthy reading there, I understand. Um, and it is a little bit uh, depressing if you just take it sort of at face value. Now, remember that if Solomon wrote this, I believe Solomon did write this, as one of our brothers uh, pointed out at one of the recent meetings, he really didn't have the perspective under the sun that he should have had. He was looking more horizontal rather than vertical. You know, he needed to look up to the heavens and not just look at things going on in the earth. You sort of get tunnel vision when you do that. You get depressed sometimes if you just look around you. Um, look up, you know, and look to the Lord. But still there's something to be gleaned from this, and uh, many things perhaps. One is certainly this, is that there's no end to labor in human experience. The question I would ask you tonight is, do you ever finish anything? Do we as human beings ever finish anything? Now, I know some of you immediately will think, well, sure, Brother Neil, I finished lots of things. I finished high school, you know. I finished building the shed in the backyard. I finished cutting the grass, you know, or I finished this or I finished that. But, you know, of course, when we finish something, you know, and we think we finished it and we sit back and we look at it, it's only a short matter of time before we have to go back and start over on it again. Is it not true? You say, well, I finished high school. Well, if that's the last thing you ever learn, I feel sorry for you. 
because, you know, traffic laws change, and now there's something called the Internet. For those of us that finished high school back in the, you know, early 90s or some of y'all before, I won't even try to guess, you know, you've learned a lot of things since you got out of school, right? You didn't finish learning. You, you finished something for a while. So you finished the shed in the backyard. Well, I finished the shed in my backyard about 10 years ago, and I was looking at it yesterday, and it's starting to really need some work. In fact, I'm thinking about just tearing it down and starting over. Amy didn't hear that. Because I finished it, but it's not really finished. Because we're on this earth that has been cursed by sin, and there's something called entropy going on, and there's decay, and things fall apart, and you know how the story goes. You cut the grass today, you sit back on the porch with a big glass of tea, and you're proud of yourself, and then you give it about a week, and it's looking shaggy again, right? Or, you know, two weeks at the most, you're going to be cutting it again. You know, it's over, and it's over, and um, one thing that the preacher seems to be saying here is that human experience is just labor after labor after labor. Oh, you know, so sad, and that's just part of life. But you know, God's not like us. <laughs> Aren't you so glad? You know, uh, there is a sense in which God actually finishes things. And I think maybe sometimes when I read statistics about people leaving churches and you know, uh, the decline of the percentage of the American population that still attends church and all these sorts of things. I know there are probably lots of reasons for that. But I think one reason for it in my mind as a man, middle-aged man who goes to work most days and who when he's not at work is doing some other kind of work at home, even if it's just eating, sleeping, and breathing, that's all work. You know, when I look at that, sometimes I think that maybe one reason people get a little frustrated with religion sometimes is because we paint Jesus to be a little bit like we are, which is a big mistake. Now, I want to be like him, but I know good well he's not a lot like me because the Bible tells me so. I work and work and work, and I mess up as much stuff as I get right, and the things I do get right, I have to turn around tomorrow and start them back over again, right? I'm constantly running to the store and buying this to fix this. And, of course, the Lord suffers a lot of things to go on in this world. He permits certain things to be, even things that he doesn't directly cause. But when the Lord decides to finish something, the Lord finishes it. Now, that's the kind of, if you have that view of Jesus as a triumphant Savior who has finished the things that he set out to finish, I think to me, to me personally, when I understood that some years ago, it gave me a whole new aspect on attending church on serving the Lord, because I'm not serving a Lord who's dependent on my feeble efforts. I get disappointed in life. Things fall apart. Things don't go the way I want them to. But I've got my faith in someone who finishes what he starts. Okay? And that's not to say everything that's going on in the world is something that the Lord necessarily started. But when he starts something, he finishes it. You know, one of the main themes of the New Testament is that the creator of this universe and the mouthpiece of God in that creation was Jesus Christ. As you all know, you are very familiar with those passages of Scripture. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and there was not anything made that was not made by Him. Or Hebrews chapter 1, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, in that He was the mouthpiece of creation. 
that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, passage of Scripture, Colossians chapter 1, Revelation chapter 4, understanding that it was Jesus who spoke these things into existence. What does that tell us about the nature of God? It tells us that God is all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, and that He has a power that reaches beyond the efforts of humanity. If the Lord allows me breath tomorrow, I'll get up and I'll go back to work again. And I hope, you know, if He gives me strength, I'll earn a few dollars. And I'll go in the bank and the wife will go to the store and we'll buy a few things. In a couple weeks, they'll all be gone. You know, we still have seven at home, even though two left. There's still a lot of groceries getting consumed at the Honey household. A lot of groceries. You know, McNeil left, the big eater. And then I got two more teenage sons right behind him. I just thought he ate a lot. You know, so I'll go back to work, Lord willing, the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. It will not be finished, right? And I'm sure if they all grow up and leave home, as some of you found out, they'll periodically come back, right? Hopefully. But we serve a God who's finished things. If you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, we read about the Lord finishing something. And what the Lord does when He finishes things. And actually, if you'll allow me, let me, let me start reading in Genesis chapter 1, the 31st verse. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. So He finished. Um, you know, side trail here, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but this might be one of my pet peeves. You know, they say all preachers have like little hobby horses that they get on. One of my hobby horses that I get on is God made the planet that we enjoy and the universe that we experience. And when he was finished with it, he was finished in the sense that he had done what he intended to do. It is not constantly evolving into something else. Now, it's devolving in the sense that there's been decay, okay? And the Lord put genetic potential in animals to adapt to their environment and that sort of thing. But we're not in a state of evolution, okay? You're going to see perhaps people breed a dog to get a certain breed and certain instinct and certain characteristics in that dog. They'll not be able to turn it into a cat. Okay? They'll not be able to turn it into a dinosaur because the Lord finished all that, see? And even after the fall, we're still living under that sovereignty of God. So when He finished the things, He looked and said it was very good. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made. So there was labor, there was effort, there was work involved in what God did. But he finished it. And so what did he do? And he rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had made. So when God finishes something, he then rests. As Brother Tim pointed out in a message one time, uh, it doesn't say here that he rested because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. He was just simply done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in that he had rested from all his work which God created and made. If you, if you believe, I hope you don't, but if anybody were tempted to believe the sort of modern-day ideology and the, and the modern-day ideology that's promoted in the, in the secular education system particularly, and you believe that you are a product of evolution, that this earth has been here 15 billion years, and, you know, we just started out as some elements that came from somewhere, we're not really sure where, 
And after, you know, eight or ten billion years of, of things just floating around the ocean, you know, there's been a lot of lightning bolts and there have been some sort of amino acids that somehow miraculously formed from some elements that came from somewhere we don't know where. And that eventually those got together. And here another, you know, four or five billion years later, we're just driving around cars and have cell phones and stuff. And there's all of this, you know, beautiful music out there. And there are all of these great things that mankind has been able to develop with the brain God gave if you believe that we evolved to that and that we're just creatures of chance, then really there is no reason for religion. There is no moral standard for our lives or anything else. But of course we don't believe that. Right? We believe that we were created by God. And that when He finished His creation, there was a man named Adam and there was a woman named Eve. And all of us came from them. Now some bad things happened after that. Okay? They fell into sin. And so this beautiful world that the Lord had created and that He rested on the seventh day when He had finished it, you know, was in kind of a bit, a bit of a mess because man disobeyed God's law. And as you know from reading Romans chapter 5, because of that one man, sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. And so now we're in a state where our bodies are in a state of constant labor. Not only laboring to support ourselves and raise up bread from the ground or provide our living in some way, but also labor in the sense that we labor every second from conception until death. And indeed, when the labor stops, you know what that's called? That's called death. Your heart will be beating. It'll be consuming oxygen and ATP and all these other things. And when it finally gives, gives that up, as, as our dear sister requested prayer tonight, and we, our breath stops, our heart stops beating, our labors will be over. You know, but <laughs> hey, it's also the end of our existence. But God's not like that. God can look at things and say, okay, this is my creation. I'm done with it. It's like I want it to be, and I'm finished. I, I, I step back and, and observe and, and glory in these things that I've made. So we don't serve a weak God that can't get things done. That, that's another great, 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 great fallacy. Is we don't want to take Him and try to bring Him down to our level and... Uh, you know, make him, some, make him look like we are. Like I said, I've got to get up and go to work tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next. And many of you do too, unless you're disabled or retired and, or that sort of thing. I mean, we eventually get to the point where we can't go and labor in the same way anymore, but your body still labors. But don't think God is like that. God can say, let it be, and it is so. Until he decides to alter things in some way. If, should he so decide? Okay, so you can trust in Him in that. So don't, don't buy into the, the secularized view of Jesus Christ. If you buy into the secularized view of, of, how, of the origins of the earth, that it just somehow evolved by accident, okay, that there is uh, this, this idea that there's a great amount of chance there, that there's a great amount of happenstance there, and you let that influence your view of God, you, you will get confused and you will get discouraged. Let me just assure you tonight that we serve a sovereign God. If the God that can make the moon and the stars and put the stars in place and put the sun there and create the great network of, the, of just the, all of the complexity of creation around us, I think that God is capable of taking care of me for a few years as I walk through it. I hope you would agree. And certainly He can carry me beyond. Right? So when God creates something, He says He's finished, He rests. You know, because He's done. He's finished. He's, he's satisfied with his work. 
And you say, is the negative also true? If God decides to just absolutely finish something today, is it just absolutely over and done with? Well, that's also true. And, you know, but unfortunately, um, we don't read about that a whole lot in the Bible. But just to kind of give you that flip perspective, if you would turn with me to Daniel, the fifth chapter. If it was the good pleasure of the Lord to create things, as you read in Revelation chapter 4 and in Colossians chapter 1, that they were created by Him, they were created for Him, and they were created for His pleasure, and that God had pleasure in that, then sometimes when He uh, takes displeasure in something, He he also finishes that in a different way. (laughs) Like, end of story kind of way. And here in Daniel chapter 5, the Israelites, of course, are in captivity over in Babylon, and, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was... uh, permitted by God um, and used by God to punish the Israelites and that he allowed him to take them into captivity because of their stubbornness and their uh, rebellious um, acts toward him and worshiping idols, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But God has some limits on things. And so you get over in Daniel, the fifth chapter, and we won't read all this, of course, but there's a king on the throne at this point named Belshazzar, and he decides to um, have a big feast, have a big, big drunken party, and so he takes out the vessels from the temple that had been uh, taken by Nebuchadnezzar uh, years before, and, um, and he decides to use those in this uh, drunken feast, and the Lord is not pleased. And in verse 22 of Daniel chapter 5, uh, Daniel interprets what's going on for him and tells him this, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. In other words, you saw how merciful God was to Nebuchadnezzar, which was, we're not 100% sure, was probably his grandfather. Not 100% sure about that. But he knew some things, how the Lord had judged Nebuchadnezzar, how the Lord had restored him to power. And he says, you knew all this, but verse 23, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. See, if we buy into a secular idea of evolution, if we buy into the idea that the earth wasn't really created, if we buy into the idea that we're all a bunch of happenstance, if we buy into the idea that there's not a sovereign God on the throne, and much of religious teachings, unfortunately, steer us that way because they paint Jesus as sort of being this kind of little kind of weak person over here who's just begging, 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 but he can't accomplish things. If we buy into that, and we're not very careful, We could find ourselves, and I'm sad to say I think that perhaps much of our society has found themselves in this position today where we look out and we say, well, hey, he's really not that big of a deal. If you want to have religion, fine. If you don't want to have religion, fine. If you want to rail against Christian morality, fine. If you want to say Western civilization is all corrupt and there's nothing good in it and you want to just just throw it away, well, that's fine too. And we don't really have to respect the God that created the universe because maybe there's not one and maybe he didn't. If you find yourself in that position, be very careful because I assure you on the authority of the Word of God, and I don't think any of y'all are in that position, but if a society or a culture or nation finds itself in that position, they'd be very careful because the God that started it can end it. And he shows how this works here. He says, Thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. Oh my goodness. Lord, please help us to understand our place and not do that. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou, and thy lords, and thy wives, and thy concubines, and have drunk wine in thee, and hast praised the gods of silver, and gold, and of brass, and iron, and wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. That's a bad place to be. This is a leader of a nation. 
who's looking at the things he has and he's worshiping those things and not worshiping the God who made them and gave them and upholds all things by the word of his power. And David says, you should know better. Because God was merciful to your grandfather, your great-grandfather, whoever Nebuchadnezzar was to him. God gave him all this. God lifted him up and put him in a position of power. Then he judged him. Then he restored him when he repented. And you know, and you shouldn't have done this. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. See, God can sit on His throne looking at the creation when He had finished the creation and say it's very good and be satisfied and take glory in that. God can look down when one of His uh, created beings, one of His creatures, raises up their hand against God and rails out against God and look, God can look down and say, it's finished. I'm done with you. Ooh, that's a bad place to be. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, I may be saying that wrong. I'm not sure any of us know how to say it exactly right because we don't live in Babylon. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the, in the kingdom. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. One night. If the Lord gets finished with something, is, is it over? Yes. It was over. We sing about that sometimes, don't we? Babylon has fallen. It's fallen. It's fallen. Babylon has fallen to rise no more. Of course, but this was literally Babylon the city, Babylon the kingdom that had conquered much of the known world. Mighty warriors, huge walls, big buildings, great, beautiful Wonderful things and technology and things, wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon and on and on and on and on and on and all these things. And God says, you were rebellious against me. You misused the things I gave you. You're finished. And there, that night the king is dead. And there's a new king in place. Overnight. So Brother Neil, a great civilization could not fall overnight. Yes, it could. It's happened before. God's children that understand the things of the Lord should glorify Him as the Lord. Yes, He created the moon and stars. Yes, He upholds all things by the word of His power. Yes, if we rebel, He can finish us in one night. Oh yes, He finishes things. But also we serve a God who is a God of great mercy. That has finished things for His people. Has He not? Oh, thank the Lord. Again, I'm going to have to, you know, again, as a frail human being, if the Lord gives me strength to go to work tomorrow, go to work the next day, you know, refrigerator's getting empty, go back to work the next day. You know, you know how it goes. You don't say, well, we're finished with the garden for the year. Yeah, but you're going to eat all that up. You know, get the tiller out next spring. You know, I mean, it's, it's part of the circle of life. Like Solomon says, you know, the sun rises and then it sets. Somebody said, well, that's archaic biblical language. The sun rises and it sets. We know that the earth revolves around the sun. Well, sure, I realize that, but the Bible can use poetic language. The kids ask of the day, when does deer season start? So I get online and I type in the Alabama DNR. You know what it said? It said on such and such a day, I forget the day now, but I bet Andrew and Nate remember what day it is. <laughs> November the 20th or whatever it is uh, starts. And you know what you can do? You can shoot 30 minutes after sunrise. Or excuse me, yeah and 30 minutes after sunset or something like that. 
You mean 3,000 years after Solomon wrote that down, we're still saying that the sun rises and sets? Well, sure we are. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are ways of explaining things like that. I mean, we can use that kind of, you know, poetic knowledge or poetic license to, to speak in that way if we want to. I'll tell you this, whether the earth revolves around the sun, whether the sun rises, whether the sun sets, if the Lord let go of it for about a millisecond, it would all be gone. And it would all be over. Because the one who created it and finished that hasn't gotten ready to end it yet. When he gets ready, brothers and sisters, there won't be any doubt <laughs> about when the Lord is finished and he gets ready to, as Hebrews says, fold this universe up like a garment. Or as Peter says, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, Second Peter chapter 3. Everybody will know when that time comes. We're not there yet. But, but we see here the providence of God and that he can create things. He can finish things. He's sovereign in that way. If someone rebels against him in, in, in a manner, uh, in such a way that Belshazzar did, the Lord can say it's over and done and it's over and done that night. There's not any messing around. Now, the Lord could have ended that kingdom by political intrigue. He could have sent an earthquake. He could have sent a hurricane. He could have sent a tornado. But the Lord's going to do it like the Lord wants to do it. And he simply uh, makes them vulnerable to another kingdom, gives them the strength to overcome, and they come in the next day. It's an entirely new government, probably an entirely new monetary system, an entirely new set of rules, an entirely new set of laws. One of the greatest nations that ever existed on the face of the earth. So I would say that we as children of God understand some of these things. We want to glorify God Amen. for what he's done. Amen. We want to have a proper perspective on God. So what are some other things that he has finished? Well, we talked about how the Lord created this world. It was very good. We don't uh, have time to read all the account tonight, but of course in Genesis chapter 3, you read about the, the fall of man. Much of the Bible, of course, is the uh, story of the redemptive history of the Lord and um, loving His people, caring for His people. And, of course, ultimately coming to this earth that He had created and walking around on it and being put to death by some of, the, by his, by some of His creatures and, of course, giving Himself for us. And again, we don't want to paint Jesus as this, uh, like us, like someone who's, who's, who's a failure, like someone who is, you know, he doesn't have my failings, he doesn't have my faults, he doesn't have my, my sin, certainly, God forbid, I even tremble to even say that. But if we can understand him as someone who is above that, who dwells in the light that no man can approach unto, and yet he was willing to approach us, okay, and to come here, not, it, it, it would have been enough if the Lord had created this universe like the deists think and then just stepped back and said, y'all have a good time. I, I, I gave you a nice planet, see what you can do with it. I mean, that would have been more than fair. He didn't have to make us. But to personally involve himself after we had ruined it with our sin and disobedience, I mean, that's just going way, way above and beyond. And so the Lord labored to create it, then he rests. And then I'll submit to you tonight that he labored to redeem it. And now he rests from that. What was the prophecy in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21? She shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. I need to be saved from my sins. And you need to be saved from your sins. And I believe he came and that he did it. 
And in John chapter 19, the Lord is, is laboring, okay, under great duress. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now again, I'm not, I hope I never try to bring Jesus down to our level, but, but in a sense, you know, he has, he has submitted himself to this on, for our, on our behalf, and he is um, Jesus the man, the man Jesus Christ. And he has been beaten. He's had his clothes ripped off. He's had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's been spit on. He's been battered. He has been made to carry his cross part of the way. He has, his, his physical body has suffered in a way that we cannot truly imagine. And here he is at the very, near the very end of it. And he has done a, a labor like no man ever has to survive. And to take the sins of his people on himself. What happens when you get out and you get hot and you labor and you sweat and it's your end of yourself physically? You get thirsty, right? You get tired. I mean, it's, it's hard. It is, it is harsh. And some of you have labored hard in your lives. I know that. I remember when I was a child watching my father labor for us. It was, it was nothing like the Lord labored. But I think I took a little bit of a picture of the labor of someone away from that. I remember him working all day and then getting off work and he would say, uh, he would look around to one of, us, one of us boys, who's got homework tonight? And someone said, well, I don't have any homework. And say, okay, let's go. And we would get in the truck and we would head out to work on rent houses and fix busted pipes. And I remember crawling under the house with him at two or three in the morning and handing him stuff and cutting pipes, you know, and unstopping drains and all these sorts of things and dragging it back from under the house. And we'd kind of get through and it's like three in the morning. And you're like, man, we got to get up in a few hours. It was labor. And labor is sometimes rough and it hurts. That's why it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth, right? Because that's when he can bear it. You get our age, it's a little harder to bear it sometimes. Hopefully you you know, get past a little bit of that. But you know what that feels like. Here the Lord is and He says, I thirst. I think that's in there for a reason. And I know it was to fulfill all things and fulfill prophecies. But I also think the Lord was thirsty. You know, I think about my Savior hanging there. Not for something He did. For all the rot things I've done. And I love you, brother and sister, but for things you've done. He didn't have to be there. He gave us a good world. He gave us a good universe. He gave Adam and Eve a garden. He gave them one law. And they broke it. How long were they in there before they broke it? I don't know. Probably not very long. And we're like that. We have their DNA. Every one of us is descended from them. They're our great, 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 great fill-in-the-blank grandparents. We all like to talk about our heritage. You know, the people that came before us. You look back there, you start digging, you, you, you dig up a lot of bones, don't you? Everybody's got skeletons in the closet. Because we're all sinners. And our grandparents and our great-grandparents, we honor their memory, they were sinners. And here Jesus is, 
laboring, dying. What is the end of labor? We talked about it earlier. You'll know your labor's over. Your family will know your labor's over. You won't probably be worried about it because, Lord willing, you'll be speeding to the arms of our Savior. Your spirit and soul will. But someone will sign your death certificate someday. When they, when they pass that through to the insurance company or the funeral home, wherever, they can just stamp it, signed, sealed, and delivered. Neil's labor is over because he won't be doing anything. Here the Lord is. He's nearing the end of his labor. You know what's coming next. It's death. That's where labor always ends. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they fulfilled... They filled a sponge with vinegar and put hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he, he said, what? We, we, we read this and we sing this. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You know, in God's mind, though, it was finished before he hung the first star in place. Okay. Before he spread out the starry sky. It was finished before he made the earth. Before he spoke the universe into existence. Because, again, God's not like us. I may or may not get up and go to work tomorrow. I was really thinking about calling in. And then I thought about how bad Tuesday would be. And I said, no, I'm going to go to work Monday if the Lord gives me grace. Because if I don't go Monday, Tuesday's going to be bad. But I may not get there. The car could break down. I might get sick. Okay, a lot of things could impede me. There wasn't anything in heaven or in hell that was going to impede the Lord from accomplishing His purpose. When He cried that out, He cried that out knowing that all the prophecies had been accomplished. They had all been fulfilled. And it was time for Him to give up the ghost. In John, the 17th chapter, two chapters back, he also says he had finished. Now, I realize we could probably, you know, put some perspective on that and, and maybe read some things into it, perhaps. But if we just want to read it for what it says, um, as we read in John chapter 17, these words spake Jesus, verse 1, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to, to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Well, he said in 19, chapter 19, verse 30, it was finished. But he says here it was finished. Look over with me at Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, though the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is not in any more doubt about finishing that project than he was about the first one. When he had finished making this universe, at the end of that sixth day, the seventh day, he rested. Not because he was tired, not because he had to. It was a pattern for us, yes, but it was also the Lord sitting back and looking at something that was very good and knowing that he had finished it. 
Right here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we're reading that the work was finished from the foundation of the world. How is that possible? How could the Lord look at something that had not happened yet and see it as though it had already been done? And no, God has absolute, unadulterated faith in the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ because He knows it will always come to pass. My faithfulness is sometimes not that great. My intentions are good, but I don't always follow through. But let me tell you, God is not like me. And here he compares those days of creation to the Lord having finished the eternal salvation of his people. And he says this in Hebrews chapter 1. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, because he's tired? No, because he's finished. Now let's think about this for a moment. We want to keep, if we can, as much as we humanly possibly can, a proper perspective of the majesty of God and of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to belittle Him in any way. And we don't want to try to think or assume or suppose or paint Him as though He is somehow like the fallible creatures that we are. Okay? Now, if we do that, um, not only would we have to ignore some scripture, um, but also I think that we would perhaps paint a Savior who's not all that attractive to someone who reads the Bible and who sees the creation out there. And you say, what do you mean by that, Brother Neil? Well, I read this statistic some years ago that in, in many churches, the men especially were leaving. Like a lot of modern day churches were having trouble attracting the men. They couldn't get the men to come. Yeah, they could get the ladies to come and sometimes bring the kids, but then all the statistics showed that if the man didn't come, the chance of the kids staying as they got older was very, very low, that you, you needed the man to come, you know? And so I started kind of following this because I just like to read things. And, you know, I saw that different churches were doing different things to attract men. You know, they, maybe they would have a, a, you know, a wild game supper or something like that. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. I like wild game suppers, but... But, you know, that's, you, there's got to be a little more to it than that because you can't have a wild game supper every Sunday, you know. You know, or maybe they um, will have a certain billboard that, you know, maybe had uh, camouflage or something, you know, or different ways to try to incorporate the men. You know what I believe would appeal to a child of God with faith in his heart who's a man, okay, who's labored hard and stood on his own two feet and supported his family and went like some of y'all and went out in the rain and the snow and the sleet and just did everything they had to do and laid down their life for them is to understand the biblical view of Jesus. Someone who is not, he is not afflicted with my frailty, but I'll tell you this, he is the man Jesus Christ. He's also God. So he's not like me when I get up in the morning. I may, not, I may get to work, I may not. Listen, he always gets the job done. He is the absolute one and only man who's ever been completely successful at everything he did. And when he was on the cross there, he wasn't looking around and in his mind, I don't believe, thinking, well, I hope that these people will be saved. Was he saying that when he finished creating the universe that we enjoy? No, a thousand times no. 
He was looking at it, it was good, and it was very good, and it was done, and he could sit back, and he could glory in that. And brothers and sisters, when he hung on the cross, when he gave that last measure of breath and blood for us, he was not hanging there wondering, I wonder if it's really finished. And God the Father wasn't looking at that and wondering either. Because Jesus Christ finishes what He started. When He said it's finished, it's finished. He could have a private conversation with the disciples, I guess, other than that private, between Him and God the Father and say, I finished the work You gave me to do. I believe that we that have been entrusted with trying to preach you the Word of God can say that today. Amen. He finished the work the Father gave Him to do. That all the Father gave Him, that He would lose nothing, but He would raise it up at the last day. Amen. When He by Himself purged our sins, He sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. So, well, Brother Neil, um, you know, but I, I do believe in my heart that, that Jesus died for me, and I, I, I hear what you're saying, and you know, I just I feel like there's some things I need to do. Well, I agree. There's some things we need to do. Amen. There's a lot of things we need to do. Um, and we'll never get it all done. <laughs> but we can't do that job. <laughs> That's what only the Savior could do. But if you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, and we go back up and start reading in verse 1 instead of verse 3, we get a little sense of what we need to do. We talked about what the Lord's done. And we can have absolute confidence and faith in that. Do you believe that tonight? I'm, I'm not asking you, will you believe? I'm asking you, do you believe? If you hear that and you believe it and the Spirit of God bears witness in your heart that it's true, then that shows that the Spirit is there. You've been born again by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's a privilege to believe it. I'm not going to beg you to believe it any more than the Lord's begging you to believe it. What the Lord does stands. And his work stands alone. But we, we have this blessing of believing that and entering into a rest. Verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would you not afterward have spoken of another day. Excuse me. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he hath also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. If we're honest with ourselves, we know, hey, I can't work my way to heaven. I don't even know where it is. It's out there. It's got to be a physical component to it because there's people there in their bodies, including the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's a place. <laughs> I just don't know where that place is. And I, I can't work my way there. I, I can't, my feet can't, don't, don't leave the ground of their own volition. I mean, I'm, I'm a human like you. I can work here for my family. 
I can work for my church. But there's some works only Jesus can do. But I can do something a little bit like what he did in one sense. Although I never do it perfectly, and although my, my, my belief is, is subject to, to wax and wane, I'm ashamed to say. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can rest. I can look at what the Lord's done in this universe, the beauty of it. I can rest in that. I can say, Lord, if you can make that, you can take care of me. If I get down, you can keep the refrigerator full. He can do it. But hey, if I can believe that and I can rest in that, I can rest in something that to me has far greater consequences because they're eternal. I can rest in what he did on the cross. I can rest in that belief. I can rest in the faith that he's given me. That he's never never failed. He's never fallen short. And that God the Father himself looks at the work of his son and is satisfied on behalf of his people. It's a victorious work. It's a finished work. You say, well, Brother Neil, does that mean God's not doing things in the world today? Oh, no. No, he's still at work. His spirit is still moving among us. His spirit is still quickening his children. Being like I said, the Lord looks at things from before the foundation of time. And he looks at things past the end of time. And he knows how they're going to turn out. The Lord knows you. You, you, you have a hope in your heart, a belief in your heart. That shows he's given you faith. What are we to do? Work out our own salvation. Philippians chapter 2, right? For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I've got things I can do. I can, I can enter into his rest by acknowledging it, by recognizing it, by taking the scripture on faith and believing that Jesus has already accomplished the things that I could not accomplish. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, about the working of His great power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. I believe it and walk in it. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Because you are sons, He has sent forth the Spirit of, of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. What am I to do? I rest in it, acknowledge it, believe it, and profess it before men and stand for it. And may we always, if the Lord will give us grace and mercy, see him as as successful, as finished, as accomplished. If Satan tries to undermine the idea of creation, which he has, if he tries to undermine the idea of the sovereignty of God, which he has, we know better. And I know you believe it in your heart. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your kind attention. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.